Welcome to the Stay Grounded Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, and today's guest is Ian Strembeck. He's the owner and founder of Rune Nation LLC, which is a defensive firearms training company. He travels all throughout the United States training dozens of classes a year, which would probably equal out to over three, 400 people a year, which is very impressive, and talks a lot more than just a gun. He's very humble and understands that there's so many more things that you need to do as a human being before ever going to the gun. Today's podcast talks about choices and a lot about jujitsu because it's very impressive in how it equates to your average person. So stay tuned and let's go. All right, guys, on today's podcast, I have Ian Strambick, right? Yes. With Rune Nation and actually met him earlier this year and he's become a great friend and also a go-to for business, life, and pretty much everything um, because he's got a lot of it figured out already. So Ian, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself real quick and uh, give a really quick background on what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Ian Strimbeck. I'm the owner and founder of uh, Rune Nation. We're a basically a training company that uh, you know deals with the aspect of constantly growing and making better the uh, the multifaceted individual. So it's not just about the gun or the blade or the grappling or the mindset of the verbal acuity or the medical side of things or even the athletic side of things. It's a, it's a balance of, of all of them together in a continual process throughout your life. Now, in regards to background of myself personally, I spent some time in the Marine Corps from uh, 06 to 10 um, in just a regular infantry line unit, uh, more specifically 3rd Battalion, 2nd Marines out of uh, Lejeune. Um, spent some time overseas, came back as soon as I got out, went straight into college. Uh, like literally I got out in the springtime, worked all summer with my best friend's dad at the time doing, uh, construction work. You know, he had a construction company on the side, so did that and then hopped back into college that fall and spent from 2010 to 2014 getting my bachelor's in communication with a concentration in journalism and a minor in psychology. And uh, while I was at college, I was also working for a locally based exec protection firm out of the greater Boston area. Um, so it was just only CONUS EP work, and we worked alongside the State Department when, uh, say, for example, the Dalai Lama was visiting in Boston doing his uh, speeches or his talks, or on one such occasion, the Rolling Stones were visiting to, you know, put on a concert. So, um, you know, Keith Richards was one of my principals during that time frame. Um, so got a lot of experience in regards to the security element of things. And along with that, I also worked in what we'll say less than desirable bars and less than desirable areas of Boston and less than desirable times of the night. And so that, again, opened my eyes to the normalcy of day-to-day criminal interaction in regards to how violent things can get in a not only a uh, shorter period of time, but also in, in a very close proximity and that's where I kind of started to also get my feet wet with teaching. Obviously teaching very, very basic um, firearm safety because unfortunately I was born and raised in the uh, communist state of Massachusetts, so I had to deal with their wonderful gun laws for a number of years of my life uh, up until recently where I moved north into um, the great free state that I'm in now, uh, but taught very basic firearm classes there, and then it just kind of evolved into 
uh, again, just like how everyone should be, the continually learning students. So took classes as a student, and that kind of evolved, looking how different ways, uh, different ways other people approach things to teaching others, and so forth and so on. And that's where we kind of led up to now, um, to basically from. Uh, 2012 to 2000, uh, we'll say 17, I worked under other individuals teaching as their cadre, and then it got to a tipping point where I wanted to do something on my own, and um, lo and behold, 2017 happened, and I started up the LLC, and that's where uh, kind of Rune Nation was born, and been going after it hard ever since. So that's cool. So I didn't even know that you worked worked as like a, a secondary cadre for people, and that's something yeah. a lot of people don't understand, and for the Gary V nerds out there, you know, like he says, if you want to be successful, find the best person and work for free, you know, or work for as yep. cheap as you can so you can learn everything about that um, just to make you better. Absolutely. It's all about it's all it's all about putting in, in the time and the work and the effort, which, as you and I both know, in kind of how modern society is set up where a lot of things we can get instantaneously such as me being able to talk to you on the phone right now from literally you know uh from all the way from new hampshire to 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 where to where you're living it matters of a second we could facetime instantly right now to where i can go on amazon right now and have something delivered to my door in in a day people translate that same concept to to life in general so they're like well i want to be a business owner i want to be an instructor why can't i do this like right now it's like you have to understand that it's a journey. It's a long journey. It's going to test you, and it's about just putting in the work and keeping your head down and just pushing through. Right, and a lot of people don't realize is you may even know a lot of stuff, but it's just stuff you're going to have to go through again to get better at exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. You can never get too good at the fundamentals, whether it be the fundamentals of business, fundamentals of writing, fundamentals of lifting, grappling, shooting. You can never get to go to the fundamentals. And that's, I think, a big thing that a lot of people are, are missing out on. Right. And I'm experiencing it firsthand right now with the EMT and paramedic program. A lot of it is the same stuff that you do in TCCC, but TCCC doesn't really equate to much once you get into the civilian market. So you have to redo all of that. Yeah. And uh, with a lot more laws, right? Because now oh, yeah. you're, you're held reliable because it's a practice. So there's a... <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of things that people don't see that it, it does take time. And even like I talked to you earlier this year about it because I wanted to open up my own training thing. And I got out after being overseas for a couple of years and I was like, you know what? I got some money set aside. I can hang out this summer and just try to work this. And I did one thing, right? And I mean, I made hundreds of phone calls and even offered a lot of free training. But uh Police departments are a little different to work with, and uh, we can talk about that later. But, uh, oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it takes time. I mean, it's things are – I mean, that's what life is about. I mean, life is a journey. It's not about the end goal. You know, and a lot of it's on what you're happy with. If you're happy with a 1,000-square-foot house on four acres versus do you want a 2,000-square-foot home with a half an acre, you know? So, I mean, it all depends on – on what you want out of life, so absolutely, or, and, and what as matters. Long as, you're happy, as long as you're happy doing it, like all, all more power to you. But the biggest thing I see is people that want all this luxury, all these aesthetically pleasing or materialistic items, but they don't want to sacrifice certain things to get there. Right. That's the biggest misconception. Yeah. 
So I'm going to jump into a topic that I know uh, you're very familiar with, and it doesn't necessarily involve the gun at first, but the close fight. So everything, statistically speaking, is the 21-foot rule, right? So seven yards and in, um, and it's quick. Like I saw a video the other day where a guy was unloading a money truck, and... I know exactly which one you're talking about. And three guys pulled up on him. And, mm-hmm. he, you know, he was armed to the teeth, was wearing plates. Not armed to the teeth, but he had a sidearm on him, and he was wearing plates. And he turned around and got on his knees. You know, I mean... He's just, well, I mean, there's the, things the to reality think about. is with that yeah. type of job, what people don't get is that's probably the one of the most dangerous underpaid jobs that, that somebody can have. Because not only are you literally driving around in a giant target right because you're driving around in, in in the money truck sure it's armored you know sure you, you're armed yourself with the firearms but you're literally driving around the giant neon sign that says i have money um and a lot of these guys usually and again i'm not going to you know paint a broad uh brushstroke here because i know that i'm sure there's certain people that have that job that take it seriously enough to go out there and get the extra training but majority of the time from what i've seen uh those people are pretty much the last people that should be uh, handling money, whether it be to their uh, overall lack of athleticism or um, lack of firearm training, which, again, may or may not be their fault. Um, but the reality is if you take that job, it, 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 it is on you to get that training, whether it be physically or with the firearm itself. Um, you know, you can't just depend on the company to do all the, 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 the pain of that for you. So the reality is, sure, those people pulled up on the guy. He obviously wasn't – he more than likely – and, again, this is, these are all hypotheticals. I don't know the guy personally, nor was I there the, when the event happened or unfolded. But more than likely, he wasn't emotionally prepared for that. He had probably been going through the motions doing that job, um, you know, been doing it for however long, year, two years, whatever else. Um, and, again – the whole concept of, and I hate to say because I hate cliche military terms, but complacency can kill. And the reality is he got comfortable at his job, and he wasn't ready for that moment to happen. When it did, instead of fighting back or um, you know, being reactive, because obviously he wasn't, uh, he wasn't on the offense, right? He was obviously more than likely hit the blind corner the guys took the blind corner from his advantage he didn't see it so therefore he should have been reacted but instead of being reactive he just folded and he just gave up right there on the spot right and that's a big thing to talk about you know like i mean different things that you do make i mean are are life-altering changes right i mean if he i mean maybe he had 10 kids at home right and he's like hey if i just get on my knees let them take the money it's insured absolutely i get to go home tonight you know, or if he wanted to be Johnny on the spot and fight back, you know, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw a couple of AK, was there an AK or something like that? There was definitely a rifle. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, you know, but like. The, but the reality is, is that he sold himself on a non, on a, on a non-guaranteed outcome, right? Mm-hmm. He he, like you had said, may, you know, if I give up, I get to see my family. But that's not a guarantee. There's plenty of instances where people have, you know, handed over their cash, especially when you look at uh, close circuit security camera uh, footage from people that own, you know, convenience stores. They do as the robber says, and they still get shot regardless. 
So there is no like, <laughs> there is no mutual respect with between what my good friend Bill Lewitt of April Risk Consulting calls a violent criminal actor in a regular law-abiding civilian. There, there, there is no pact or treaty that can be signed or hand or handshaked in that moment to guarantee your safety. And that's what I think a lot of people have an issue with is that they believe that because they're good, solid, law-abiding people, that they can project this same concept onto these non-law-abiding, violent criminal actors. And that's just not how life works, as you and I both know. Right. So, I mean, it's the luck of the draw. I mean, that dude... Exactly. I mean, got lucky, right? Because, you know, you brought up a very valid point where they could have just shot him dead. Yep. Because he was a witness. I mean, Mm -hmm. he had everything, not everything, but there were things that he could have explained or descriptive stuff to the police, and they could have just shot him dead. I mean, if he was in a different country, they probably would have just shot him dead. Yeah. Yeah, so um, with the close fight, you know, like I brought that up just because it was very quick. It was very intimate because, I mean, they were right up on him. Um, There was no really reaction even at the 21-foot rule, because like you said, they took his blind corner. And, I mean, by the time he saw them, they were at the corner of his truck. So, I mean, what are some things that you would think that could, not him in general, but just people, um, can set you up for better success? You know, like I saw Pat Mack talk about fives and 25s. We talk about that in the military, but, you know, there's certain aspects of that in the civilian life, too, that, I think can go a long way, especially if you're in a vehicle. Yeah, sure. So, um, and again, another great example by um, Bill Lewitt here is anytime that you are about to transfer or move between uh, one point to another, and in between those points is, we'll say, an unknown space, okay, or a space that I can't guarantee my safety in, say, if I'm leaving. I work in the city. I'm leaving my office building where um, is obviously not 100% secure, but it's secure enough that, you know, I, I feel safe in there. And then I need to walk back to my car, which, again, my car is 100% guaranteed space. But, again, it's mobile. I can be on out of there if need be, if, if I do need to get out of there. But now I need to enter into this parking garage, okay, at night at a time where crime is more than likely to occur. Anytime that you can take in information before you're moving through that open or unguaranteed space is going to set you up for success. So something as simple as, say, if you park your car outside your house in your driveway you, and say you, you don't have a garage, okay, and I need to walk outside, maybe simply looking through the windows that may be next to my front door before I open that door to my house would probably be a good choice. Uh, there's no inherent negative or con from doing that other than maybe taking up, uh, you know, 30 seconds of my day. But the inherent pros from it is that I can, for the most part, guarantee that I'm going to be safe from moving from my house to my vehicle. Um, I can see if anything is askew or out of the ordinary by looking through those windows. And again, it's free information. There, there's literally nothing being taxed um, from my life by doing that. And I just feel like, uh, again, people get 
complacent. And that's not to say that we need to be in this infamous Cooper color code red at all times and be constantly scanning, you know, um, around us in a, uh, in an egregious fashion, we'll say like in a, uh, extremist fashion that, you know, uh, certain people in the world paint, you know, these gun owners as these crazies, you know, right? Like, like we need to have 365 security around us at all times. Um, the reality is that we can't be safe 100% 24-7, 365. If you can, you probably live a very high anxiety-ridden life and probably don't have too good of a social life because you're so paranoid of the bad people that are out there. However, okay, if we can take a little bit of time out of our morning or throughout our day just taking that free information, it's going to set us up for success. Like I said, there's no inherent negative from doing that. And I just feel like because we get so set in our daily habits, especially those of us who do the same job every single day, we do a nine to five, whatever it is, we go the same route every single day, nothing new, nothing extraordinary that we just kind of are just kind of, uh, more or less automating our processes so that we're just going from point A to point B and not seeing anything in between those two. Yeah, and as, that kind of makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense because we're animals, right? I mean, just like a, a white-tailed deer and a hunter, we create habits, we create patterns, we do things, um, and we don't even realize it. You know, like we don't even. Just like you talked about looking out your window, like I bet you don't even think about it anymore. You just yep. do it. Your family just mm-hmm. does it. Like my dog, I have a. a He's not even scary looking to me, but I have to look left and right before I let my dog out because if someone's running by, like they will scream even if he stays in the yard because they don't like the way he looks. And uh, so I can't be that ugly looking. He's not. No, I mean, yeah, he's my baby. He ain't that ugly looking. But uh, but like people don't realize the more you do it, the more routine you make it, the less anxiety, the less veteran statistic of sticking your back in a corner every single place you go and walking around with high anxiety, it doesn't even feel like it anymore. You know what I mean? As long as you make it routine. Yeah. And I think more or less that people don't do it. Um, first off, out of the sheer fact of just laziness, but also the fact that they're more or less admitting to themselves that there is violence in the world. And that's, a, again, a big, more or less societal issue than anything else where, where we are t- currently in society is that people out there that are making laws, for whatever reason, believe that they focus on the tool versus just this is the way life is. And again, preaching the choir here, but violence has, you know, Humans have been killing other humans since we emerged from caves. And one human said to another, hey, I want that piece of meat. And that person said, no, you're not going to take it from me. And the guy said, cool. And he picked up a rock and beat him to death and took his meat. So, like, that, that's nothing new, new in regards to human-on-human violence. The only thing that's changed is, is the tool over those thousands of years. So instead of trying to, again, ban or restrict this tool... We just have to more or less accept that this is the way humans are and do our best to prepare for it instead of trying to, A, deny that it doesn't exist, and B, try to law our way out of it, which obviously doesn't work. 
No, I mean, it's been proven in multiple different countries that if you take the gun away, they'll use knives. If you take the knives yep. away, they'll use wiffle ball bats. I mean, they will find a way. Or they'll make these magical things called IEDs. Weird or, how that works. Yeah, you know, like they will do... Uh, I mean, th- there's a way. There's always a way. Even if you're mm-hmm. if you're down to your hands and that's it. I mean, there's a way. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I think just as a society, we need to respect each other a lot more and uh, yes, be more friendly because I don't know. It's just crazy. So, um, definitely with the rise of technology, social media. Um, any application to make your life easier on your mobile device. I mean, phones in general, I mean, people are glued to them. You know, like that's one oh, yeah. thing. Like my own my own personal rule is that if I'm out walking around in town, my phone stays in my pocket. Yep. And, it, you know, unless it's like an emergent call, then I put it on speaker so I don't even have to look at it. And, and I don't care what the person says on the other end if it's that emergent, but... Um, you know, like there's just certain things that one, I think it give you, gives you a better perspective of the world because if you walk through the world with your face to your phone, you miss a lot of the joys you have in life, right? Like, oh yeah, you posted 100%. how you rode BMX, I rode BMX, like, like when I was 18, I think that's when the, the Nextel phone came out and yep. uh, I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. So you know, that stayed in my pocket, but if someone needed me, they could get a hold of me, and then it was a quick second. But the entire time I was out in town or at the skate park, I was enjoying life. I was seeing life in a creative and a passionate way versus now people live their life through other people by sliding yes. through Instagram or um, or whatever. So, you know, there's... if. For you guys that are listening, like there's certain things, if you just take a few seconds in your day or mitigate certain habits, I mean, you can get a lot better of enjoyment out of life with your family because sitting down next to your wife at dinner with your phones up isn't really enjoying time with your wife. Um, You know, looking before you cross the road. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is is that if you want something bad enough, it's going to take some type of sacrifice now what that sacrifice is going to be is obviously going to be uh specific okay and subjective to your lifestyle what your end goal is so forth and so on but you can't have as as the old saying goes you know you can't yeah you can't have it all sometimes you know there has to be something that has to be taken out in order to get to that better goal so obviously if you want to be more safe you want to be safer, then, yeah, you're going to have to magically peek your eyes out of your phone. You might have to put your phone away and get into a habit of not walking around with it. And, again, because people are so dead set on their habits, as we all know, habits are hard to break. So even something as simple as you're used to constantly being having your hand on your phone or looking down your phone in public, then yeah, it's, it's going to take a little bit for you to get out of that habit and force yourself into keeping your eyes up and putting it away until you get to that, uh, deemed safe location. Okay. Or a secure location. Um, but again, if you want to be safer then yeah, you're going to take a little sacrifice out of there. And it's not much. I mean, like when you, when you practice it, it's not much. It's barely even noticeable. 
Um, so with that, um, I mean, we'll drag it into social media now, you know, like there's a lot of things on escalation of force. I see that, uh, are different, right? There's a lack of contextual stuff, which we'll get into a little bit later, but, um, people seem to think a gun is the answer to every problem and maybe people don't think that but it portrays that through a lot of stuff on facebook social media any type of social media even like talking to a lot of friends in the gun community and when i say the gun community i mean like police uh armed security a lot of these guys don't understand that if you meet every problem with a gun it's probably A, going to throw you in jail, B, get you killed, or C, put you in a, a much worse problem than you than probably could have been mitigated by saying, hey, man, that's okay, and just walking the other way, you know? Yeah, and, you know, when, when it comes down to that, it's, um, as it's been termed in the past, I forgot who I originally heard it from, uh, but it's more or less tactical masturbation, Right. Guys and gals, more or less, uh, again, we sometimes have these jobs that we hate. It's a nine-to-five job. We work in a cubicle, and now we have the opportunity to uh, strap on a gun, You know, have our, our primary or backup gun, three magazines, two spares for the backup gun, three knives, two flashlights, um, two pepper sprays, an ankle kit uh, for our, our medical stuff like because again, they live such potential uh, non-exciting lives that now they have the opportunity to, and now they get overboard and fixated on this on this firearm type type subject. And the reality is is that regardless of what the bias media shows out there, uh, the 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 chances or the probability of an average law-abiding citizen getting involved in an altercation where lethal force is utilized is pretty rare. Is it, is it impossible? No, absolutely not. Of course, it's still possible, but it's still a very low probability. Somebody said, uh, somebody said you have a higher chance of being killed by the Clintons than you do. <laughs> I mean... It, it, but but again, right? We, we we see these news clips that pop up, whether it be through Facebook or on on websites that we may follow. And you know, I'm 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 not saying that that person shouldn't have been armed because obviously they live the, the 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 person that attempted to rob them or whatever else. Okay, got put in their place, and that's all well and good. And and you know, but the reality is is that just because you know it was done with a firearm doesn't mean that that's the only skill that you should focus on. There's plenty of other things out there that should be focused on, you know, and and that's why I created my training philosophy, the teaching philosophy, the way that I do, uh, because you want to be more or less a jack of all trades and a master of none, um, than just being a specialist in one discipline. Now, Obviously, if your lifestyle dictates differently, then you may have to put more focus into one subject. Say, if you want to be a USPSA Grandmaster uh, champion, then obviously your focus has to more or less go 100% into the pistol shooting realm. I highly doubt that the average USPSA 
person that's on their way to becoming grandmaster has time to really put time into jujitsu or blade work or attend multiple medical classes or whatever else that they do, awesome. Because I want to know where they get those extra hours of the day. But for the rest of us, for the average person, they're more or less going to have to focus all of their effort into that one skill. But for the vast majority of people, okay, who are out there, um, I I would say to uh, put, you know, focus maybe into one hard for about three to six months. And then once you're confident and solid in that, then you can move on to the next discipline. And that's not to say that the prior one needs to go to the back burner. You can still chip away at it, uh, but you know you can't put 100% effort into 100% of everything that you do. It's just literally impossible. It's like the same people that say that humans can multitask. No, humans cannot multitask. We're actually really shitty at multitasking. But the reality is, is that we can get better at being able to shift to that new uh the new thing, the new topic that we're doing or the new uh, idea that we're on or whatever else it may be, being able, to f- being able to prioritize that shift in place is what's important. But being able to put 100% effort into uh, you know, process things at, at the same time, that's just literally impossible for the human brain to do. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think if, if people were as much of verbal ninjas in real life as they were on social media i think they'd be a lot better off because um, yeah no uh, verbal verbal acuity is a super underrated skill and it was first shown to me and where i where i base most of my within two arms reach uh knowledge from is a good friend and mentor of mine uh craig douglas of shivworks fame um, if you guys are listening and don't know who that is Go and look Craig up. He's by far, in my opinion, uh, the subject matter expert of anything dealing within two arms reach. Um, Craig has a pretty lengthy background, and um, he is by far uh, probably <laughs> the the one person that has the best verbal judo that I've seen in, in person in regards to uh, just being able to talk you with so much confidence and get within that quote-unquote perimeter, being able to encroach that distance quickly and authoritatively, but also in a way that is making that makes you comfortable, that makes you feel safe, and that's obviously very dangerous for a unknown to be able to do that to you. So, being able to spot that, or being able to be on the opposite end of that, and being able to talk your way out of a potential violent situation is just as important or in my opinion even more important than having to or believing that you need to carry a firearm every single day of your life Uh, because the reality is those type of individuals that I've met they go to such extremes saying that I won't go to insert wherever because I can't legally carry my firearm Um, now obviously that's your choice that's the great thing about living in America. You have choices and you can do that. Uh, but in my opinion, you're really kind of missing out on this thing that we call life and being able to enjoy it to its fullest. And um, if you can't you know, go to a certain state or a certain area with your family to enjoy it with your family because you can't carry your gun, uh, that's kind of silly in, in, in my opinion. And it shows a lack of confidence and skills outside of the actual firearm. 
And that, I think, is what drives a lot of people to do or say the things that they do because they inherently believe that the pistol is this magical talisman, more or less, um, that can protect them at all costs. And again, as you and I both know, that's just uh, that's just not even close. Um, is a pistol uh, the most efficient manner to deal with violence in modern times? Absolutely. It's a, especially with the technology of handguns, the size, the capacity of rounds you can carry now, the technology behind defensive rounds with hollow points, they obviously are a, you know, a great tool to have. Um, it's a distance tool, okay, right? Because it's originally designed to be able to shoot a projectile at distance. So being able to do that means keeping you a lot safer. But again, um, it's not the, the only tool that can get you out of a potentially violent situation, okay? Nor is it, nor can it help out in a post-violent situation where you may potentially need medical skills. So again, there's a lot that goes into just wanting to carry a gun. There, there's so much, you know, and people don't, they don't want to understand that. And, uh, and not only that, it's the, the maintenance on it, right? You know, so even shooting a firearm takes, I mean, a pistol, we'll just say a pistol because that's what the majority of us carry. I mean, that's the only thing reasonable I can think of to carry. I'm not going to carry my AR like a lot of these people do in, in my truck, but, uh, your 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 truck gun for when you go to soccer practice. Yeah, you know, with my body armor and my helmet in the back. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, like realistically speaking, like practice with it is something that is so underrated. You know, like I'm working in security now. I know you've worked security previous, but out of all the people that I I work with. I asked one kid the other day, I was like, hey, when's the last time you shot your pistol? He's like, four months ago. And I'm like, you literally protect your life and what's in this building with something you shot four months ago. You know, like, it, it don't take much. You know, an hour at an indoor range working fundamentals is going to be so much better than spending an hour on Call of Duty um, or or whatever, you know, like, and ranges are, are relatively cheap. I mean, eight to 16 bucks an hour, depending where you go. And, you know, again, like you said, it's all on what you want to give up. You, you know, you can give yeah. and give and take, right? I can either buy a can of tobacco every single day at five something. And then, you know, five times 30, that's what $150 a month. Or I can spend a hundred dollars on ammo and $50 a month on range time. Or, you know, there's just certain things that we have to give up or do to make things better. And a lot of it is getting – like, and it's like your class. I mean, you and I talked about your class too at one point. Um, yeah. You know, it – and to me, it's insurance. It's like insurance. People yeah. pay in a crazy amount of money for insurance that they never use. Mm -hmm. Why not set aside a little bit of money for something that you could potentially use? I live in I live in Michigan. I I live in like a floodplain area, I guess it's called, and I pay extra for that. But this place hasn't flooded in like 15 years. Yep. You know, why not spend a little bit of money to train to become more proficient with something? And a lot of it is just taking one class or two classes, remembering a lot of the stuff that you did in it, 
and continuing to, to practice those things, you know? Well, to, you know, to, to put it very simply and easily as just kind of an overall life concept is that everything is a choice. It's just, it's just that simple. So if somebody chooses to not go to the range or, uh, you know, not go to classes, that means that they're accepting the fact that if and when a, a violent situation arises, they may not be able to perform to the high level of performance that may be expected out of them. So it is their decision, whether they're agreeing to it or not, it's their choice to make. And the biggest thing is a lot of people have a lot of what's known as cognitive dissonance. So a, a complete opposite, basically a complete opposite idea of where their current abilities are at. So that's a huge thing that I've noticed, whether it be viewing on social media. I wouldn't really say people in my classes, because people in my classes come there willingly, and I kind of more or less attract a certain crowd of individuals that come to my class. I haven't um, had anyone um, inherently bad or negative or came in with a bad mindset. They all came in willingly, and they're all there willing to learn. But in regards to people I've interacted with, whether it be remotely through social media or maybe in person passing, is that they believe in they they believe so much in their abilities that they had in the past that it somehow will magically transfer over months or years later, um, and that more or less is developed out of a sheer lack of confidence in themselves. So because they lack the overall um, confidence in themselves, they inherently develop this cognitive dissonance where they tell themselves so many times that I'm good still, I'm good, and they believe that, that there is somehow going to be able to make it factual, a factual statement or factual data. Um, and I've seen that, whether it be through shooters or even guys in law enforcement, you know, because they took combatives, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they think that it can still magically transfer over a decade and a half later, um, even though they may be a little bit out of shape or haven't, you know, been to any type of grappling or combatives in that time frame. They somehow believe that they're going to be able to improvise those skills on the spot, which again is, is a, uh, we'll just say is a pipe dream more or less. What are you talking about? It's muscle memory. Yeah, muscle memory. Too bad muscles don't have memories. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just a fallacy of the military. That, that right there drives me crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, but yeah, the if if people, I think, more or less put themselves in more difficult positions, whether it be in life or um, challenges, we'll say, um, and to put themselves purposely in that willingly, it overall makes you not only if we're talking about self-defense here, but a, a better shooter, but just a better human. And I think that because of where we are in modern times, where um, comfort and delights more or less are everywhere, whether it be in your house or in your car or at the job or things that you can buy that we've inherently forgotten as a species that discomfort is a good thing sometimes. Now, obviously, if you're like 
living on, you know, living out in the woods under rocks or whatever because you believe in adversary and pain to that extent. And yeah, that's probably a little bit on the extreme. But being able to go into the gym because you know that you're out of shape and you want to lose weight and having the mental discipline to do that five days a week at five, six in the morning and not having to have, you know, somebody yell at you for it takes a lot of discipline, okay? Nor does, you know, going onto the mats four or five days a week knowing that you're going to be crushed by a brown or a black belt, but knowingly and willingly do it because you understand the inherent benefits that come from it. And I just feel that if more people did things like that, did things that scare them, that uh, that show them that they uh, are failing at it or they're bad at it inherently makes you just a better person. And so uh, this is going to lead into jujitsu, and you're going to be the master to talk about this stuff compared <laughs> compared to me. I'm not a, ma- I'm Com- not a master. Okay, of but compared, I'm probably going to probably going to go go in tonight and get crushed anyway. So okay, it's okay. But what's good about jujitsu is that it's probably one of the closest things you can get to violence, right? I mean, even with simu- yes. even with simunitions, simunitions sting, but people get aggressive, and people take a yes. lot more riskier chances with simunitions than they would. But with jujitsu, especially if you're changing partners and you're working different various levels of belts, you it's unpredictable. A lot of it is unpredictable, especially if if your opponent is good, right? Like, yes, I'm not a professional boxer. I'm not. You know, I've taken a couple classes, but I don't. I'm not fighting Mike Tyson, and I'm not watching hours and hours and hours of Mike Tyson box. So I know exactly what his footwork looks like, what this looks like, and you don't do that in jujitsu either, right? Like, you might get some guy who is built like me, 250 pounds, six foot, against a guy like you. You know, you're much more narrow than I am. You know, we'll call you a better shape than I am, um, but. You know, like, I might grab you, and you might be like, God damn, this guy's strong, but you feel over the 30 seconds, 45 seconds a minute that my grip gets weaker, I start to pant more, you get to start working me, right? So, like, you get, like, right out of the gate, you might be able to defend yourself against certain things, and then you're like, all right, this is a time game, right? These are these are different yep. things that you can work. And then the next guy you get might be scrappier <laughs> than you are, right? Might be a, a, Absolutely, like... Uh, a, a lot of the guys, you know, at people I roll with or the gyms I've been to, you know, everybody has what we call their own game in regards to what they kind of specialize in, more or less. Now, obviously, the specialization natural or organically kind of develops after you develop a quality and good fundamental, um, you know, baseline of your grappling or your jujitsu. And yeah, you know, going off what you said, it, it is so great because it's about as safe as you can mimic to and be as basically as as a, as a feral human once was. Like if you look at the ancient uh, Romans, you know, statues, it's them grappling. You know, it, there, there is no, in my opinion, uh, there is no other discipline that closely replicates the savagery of human on human contact um and it's also the safest obviously depending on your partner and how you want to train uh because it doesn't just rely on only strikes 
Um, obviously, in my opinion, you should still go out there and learn, you know, from a good boxer or a good Muay Thai specialist strikes because, again, there is no perfect martial art discipline. However, with grappling, you can always add in striking after. You can always add in knees after. You can always add in elbows after or whatever type of strikes you want. But if all you know is striking, all you, need, all you know how to go to is usually 100% which means you only have, especially if you're a good boxer, a good uh, Muay Thai guy on the street, you clip a guy wrong in the temple, he's, he's TKO. And now you, now you have a guy that suffered brain injury versus being able to tie and control an individual till at least he makes a, he decides, we'll say, he decides to make a better decision or law enforcement arrives and takes control of the situation. Um, so the ability to control and then go on the offense and then utilize lethal strikes if necessary is the benefit behind it. And yes, everybody does have their own game. There's some guys that are more, we'll say, limbery, okay, or limber or bendable. And they have, you know, a lot of inverted stuff. They do a lot of leg stuff. Um, they do a lot of spider guard because they have their long legs. There's other guys, um, such as myself, who just like good old top pressure. There's nothing more satisfying than just hearing somebody's air you know, leave their lungs when you're on top of them. I don't get to it too often well, with a lot of higher belts, obviously, but um, that's the that's the kind of quest is being able to get there. But in that time frame, yes, I, 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 I do believe that jujitsu is one of the best vehicles to develop your life as a whole. And uh, that was roughly kind of paraphrased from a video I saw a while ago with Joe Rogan. Because if you don't know, Joe Rogan is also a, a black belt in uh, in jiu-jitsu as well yeah he's a stud uh, but yeah yeah, he's yeah go ahead i was gonna say um but it's not nothing i mean the only thing choreographed is learning moves the moment that you get free free roll like the moves don't work the way that they're shown i mean they do but in a sense you normally have to put the guy there you have to, yes. you're applying pressure. And, and, it's and you have to make those moves or those techniques your own. Like obviously, you should know how to do, um, you know, a, a scissor sweep. But in regards to perfecting that for you, your body type, your body shape, how you plug it in is going to be subjected to you. And and that's the beauty of it is that you have the core center or the fundamental or the concept of how to do the technique but now you can modify it and make it your own and see how it it, it'll work for you like maybe you have to change your grip up or put your leg in a different area or whatever it is but the overall core concept of how to do the technique is still there and obviously you're, you're doing it safely as well and in in my opinion and it's going to sound weird, especially for those people out there who have never done or listening, who've never done grappling or jujitsu. But if I have a stressful day, or I just got back from a trip, and you know I'm all jet lagged or whatever, and I get home, and you know my wife knows I'm testy, so she just tells me to leave and go to jujitsu. So I go, and after I leave, after those five or six rolls at the end, I feel a hundred times better. I feel like a completely different person. I feel relaxed. I feel relieved. And again, from the layman, the outside perspective looking in, people understand that, wait, you're telling me that you pay money to an, to a gym where you go and get beat up four days a week and you feel better because of it? And it's like, yeah, that's that's actually exactly what it is. And until you put yourself in there and, and inexperience it, you, it's, it's a really hard thing to explain. But I can tell you that the most anxious people that I know and the most fearful and the most insecure people 
are because they lack the ability, okay, or lack to um, choose to place themselves willingly in adverse conditions or situations. It's because they live in such a, you know, in a uh, bubble world, so to speak, where they don't want to go outside of it or do things that are uncomfortable or risky or dangerous. There, it therefore creates all this built-up anxiety and this fear and this sickness inside of them. And until they're able to take that leap into the unknown and do those things that scare them, they're going to be stuck there. It's a very dangerous place to be, in my opinion. No, I agree. You know, and one thing, too, like going back to, like, escalation of force and starting from the beginning, you know, a lot of people talk about processing speed. And most of the time you hear processing speed – in conjunction with a gun, but having processing speed and timing with jujitsu, in my eyes, like is a lot more beneficial to just your average everyday real life person than processing speed, than trying to learn it with a gun. Um, because it is, it's real, it's right now. And there's decisions that need to be made that are going to favor or put you in a worse spot. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, all, all, basically, all ju- all Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is is human chess, yeah. except uh, that while you're playing this this theoretical human chess, uh, there, there's also uh, you know the ground is on fire and you're sweating a lot and you can't breathe and you have to, like I said, make these decisions to move the 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 pawn in a certain place and if you make the wrong move you're immediately going to pay for it so it really helps and yes that quick decision making but also just the simple ability to make a choice to make a decision and i can tell you firsthand from from people that i've had in just my 16 hour class that i do which just goes every very basic very basic concept of greco-roman wrestling and i can see somebody that comes in that's kind of you know probably a little anxious, probably has never done this before. They're meeting with people that they've never met before, and now they're grappling. And now by the end of even day one, they're smiling. They're more energetic. They're uh, you know taking down contact info for the other students in the class so they can link up because he found out that the guy's local. And they're just a more – I know it's going to sound it's going to sound pretty hokey, but like they have this kind of aura around them that they've changed in those 8 or 16 hours. And – it, it sounds, like I said, a little hard to believe, but you'd be amazed by purposely placing people in these adverse conditions where they have to make these hard, tough choices that it overall just makes them a better, stronger, and more resilient human, which is the overall goal for when I teach classes. It's not about you know the fulfillment of getting all a zone hits or, you know, uh, you know, getting a good takedown on somebody or whatever else may be, or, you know, getting a good, you know, carbine reload. It's being able to see that person leave a completely changed and better individual. That's, that's what it's about. Well, I mean, so to plug your class, I took your class, I think it was in May, May or June. Yep. Yeah. That was in the end of May up in Fowlerville, Michigan. So out of the, 10 people there, 11 people there. I got seven phone numbers and I talked to you guys probably weekly, you know, like just, and I've never been to like a structured class like that outside the military before. So, you know, for anyone listening, like even just putting yourself out there to try something new, um, 
is going to open up a new realm of uh, a lot of things, right? So brotherhood, community, um, you know, guidance and other things, because you're going to meet people who are part of different backgrounds that do different things that may or may not be able to help you later on in life. And um, it, it's just a great experience, right? And it, it can also, like you talked about earlier, if you really think you're all that in a bag of chips or whatever you want to say, however you want to say it, go to one of those classes because, and I don't know if all of your classes are like that, but there were some really pretty good shooters at that class. And uh, you put, basically bottom line, put yourself in a position where you have to push yourself and test yourself against others because you will be tested and you will be tried. And I saw myself having to move harder than I ever had to move and f- trying to process and move faster than I ever had to move just to keep up or, you know, like Nate at the end of your class beat me, you know, like, yep. you know, and there's, uh, there was some stinking good shooters there, you know, like, and you can't blame iron sights. You can't blame red dots. Cause there was a whole array of that there. And. Well, I mean, you technically could, but we just see all, we, we would see right through it. Yeah, right. And, and But it was good. But like bottom line, it was good shooters. I learned probably more about myself and my uh, my, ab- my own ability that day than I learned going to any qual range in the military, any rifle fundamental class military-wise, like anything military-wise. Because, you know, when you go to like much larger classes, it's structured to the majority, not individually. And the way that your class was run at the end, it's pushing the individual and and in a sense of competition, and it was great. Yep. I mean, it was it was awesome, and that's the same thing with jujitsu, guys. So anyone listening, if you put yourself out there to where you test yourself against another man or woman, um, that's where you will start to see where your baselines are, and really how you can grow from that kind of stuff because. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of people in these communities, right, that involve guns that are at such a level that is basic or worse, and they just, their mindset is so wrong in, in wanting to advance. They just, they think that they have it, they think that they know it, and I've posted it before, but you're likely to become more of a liability than you are an asset with that kind of a mindset, and just something to think about for people out there, you know, like... The gun doesn't solve all your problems. So, like, you use the word multifaceted, which I like, you know, like, with your verbal jujitsu, you know, jujitsu itself, blade work, you know, like, when I was in Jordan, I wasn't allowed to carry a gun on me anywhere, and there was metal detectors at every bar, restaurant, uh, motel, mall, anywhere you went, there was a metal detector. And I created, with uh, variant one, a, a... the arc, the spike, you know, so that way I could always have something on me because you can't always rely on the gun, you know, like it's just, you can't always use that. If you always use that, I, I feel like it's just going to put people in a worse position than, than when it started. Um, like, but like you said, there are instances out there where it may take the gun, right? If you, I'm not going go to go, I'm not going to go to a gunfight with a knife in my hand. So, um, but anyways, uh, and uh, so real quick, um, l- let's talk about the growth of context and social media 
there's a lot of stuff out there, and I guess I could sum this up, and then I, I want your input on it too. For people sure. in the gun community out there, if you're posting things about using a firearm, have some context to it. You know, be able to answer any questions you get in your DMs about it, and don't be so vague that it looks like it's the answer to a problem because this isn't two plus two equals five, right? You know, like <laughs> there is, uh, there's so many more things that go on in the real world, especially in a defensive situation that this isn't always going to be the answer where math is factual based and two plus two is four, you know, like, so just be able to differentiate what you see on social media as far as what is training and contextual based and has good information versus what is uh, entertainment, we'll call it, you know, so like or edgy. Because the reality is, Dan, like, how am I supposed to drive people to my product or my page if I'm not edgy or dark and I don't and I and I give very vague uh, captions or I give no caption at all and I just make this ten second clip? Like, I know it used to how, be. How, how, how am I supposed to go about my life, Dan? It used to be half naked girls, and now it's guys yeah. doing ridiculous stuff with firearms. No, but yeah, the 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 reality is is that. People that are out there that are getting new into shooting, um, they're unfortunately not looking at what the uh, what the person actually does for a living or um, or what their profession is. Instead, they're looking at how many followers they have or how many likes they have on a post, and therefore they're basing uh, their base of knowledge on this person just on that. So, because they have. Uh, an awesome looking play carrier or gun or they have like 90,000 followers or you know they got like over a thousand likes on a video or whatever it may be that must mean that they're an expert in that arena and the reality is that it's anything but so if you are that person that you have an unwritten responsibility now whether you want to have it or not okay you are an ambassador for the firearms world culture whatever you want to call it community sometimes i don't think it's community but we'll call it a community um but there you are an ambassador for it so you have to okay it's your responsibility to put out that good information and yes to answer people with questions and though yes i understand that people are out there to troll and to cause nuisance and just to be annoying sometimes in the comments, sometimes there is that person. There is that person that just got into shooting and they want to know a question about the drill or what type of gear because they're looking to go out to make a purchase and it may seem boring and repetitive and get old, but that's your choice to be in that world. You've made the choice to be an influencer or, or be a teacher or whatever else within the gun community to a point for so long that now you're an ambassador because people appreciate the information that you put out so you have to continue placing out the good quality information but also helping people out when they need it instead of just writing them off or ignoring them or potentially putting out bad information there just to drive traffic to the product or to the site yeah i agree big time on that um it's kind of hard you know like especially with like I grew up with the Dewey decimal system and AOL startup, you know, like yeah. 
today, when you go on these platforms, sometimes it's hard to differentiate who's a professional in the industry versus who is an entertainer in the industry. And oh, absolutely. Just because there's guys got 10 years in the military doesn't mean he is a professional shooter. You know, like that's something easy to say. Just because you were special forces doesn't mean you are a competitive shooter. Um, or, or soft or whatever you want to say it, you know, like guys, if you're, if you're looking to get into shooting and defensive stuff, you know, like look up professionals like Ian, or if you're looking to get into shooting faster and stuff like that, look at guys who are professionals in that game, right? If you want to get better at basketball back in my day, you were Googling Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, stuff like that. You know, like if you want to get faster at just pulling the trigger, you know, like guys like you or Rob Vogel or uh, Ben Steger, you know, like look up professionals at that. And then if you want to learn mindset, you know, your buddy at ShivWorks, you know, yourself, your classes, there's there's professionals that are in different aspects. Some some are combined. Right. But just because they have a following or military background or are sponsored by this doesn't mean that they're professional in that they can be an entertainer. They can just be a military service member who was in for a little while, you know, like there's lots of different things. So just like homework, do your homework on who you follow. If you're going to use it for an educational purpose versus absolutely. And like, especially in today's, uh, with the rise of the internet, I mean, back when I first started getting into, um, you know, training it was still kind of early enough in the social media game that instagram wasn't big and the only really way that you could get um feedback from classes is going on you know i don't know i don't know if uh people even know what these are anymore but these things called forums and you go on these gun forums and you can look for these things called aars or after action uh reports kind of similar to what we had in the military and basically a person would write down, you know, in their version, what they thought of the class. And that was really the only way to go about it. But now with how, you know, large the shooting community is, you can literally go on Instagram and probably type in a hashtag of whatever course that you want to go to see the person that posted from it. And now you can send them a DM saying, Hey, I'm, I want, he's coming up this way. I want to say a classroom. what do you think about the class? And you can do that in a matter of seconds. Um, so the information is out there, and you obviously need to be vigilant as to how you base your decision-making on what class to take, because classes are expensive, right? That's right. the biggest thing. Now you have to pay for the actual tuition. You have to pay for the ammo, maybe for, you know, if you're flying there or driving, that's a lot of money. Then you have to pay for lodging to sleep somewhere, maybe, and food and all those extra expenses. So it does easily add up. And obviously, if you choose poorly you're going to be out a lot of money and wasted time to time. Obviously you can't get back. And, and, and that's the biggest thing as well is you need to be able to spend your time wisely at a quality class. And again, just because of someone's resume doesn't instantly make them a good quality teacher. And I think that's another misconcept is that uh, people over judging more or less on the resume and less on the actual ability to teach. And, um, and again, uh, just because of said background doesn't 
you know, automatically, automatically make you um, have the ability to teach the average law-abiding citizen, right? Because now you have to deal with the legality of what happens when you press trigger, having a brief idea of how that works, being able to make judgment, you know, sound calls on shoot, no shoots, that type of thing. But the biggest thing is, is, is also just being able to teach well. Right. Because you can demo like I I know plenty of other instructors and teachers out there that are way better shooters than me, way better shooters than me. Um, And there's some that overdo it on that concept. And when they actually teach, uh, there's very little quality information that's being let out. They demo the drill shit hot, you know, maybe get like their, you know, their best time on that drill. But now when they try to explain it. You know, it, it's not there. They say, go do it. But it's like, okay, but how do you do it? And how are you able to disseminate that information for other people? Because uh, everybody learns differently, right? You have the people that, that listen uh, orally uh, in regards to what you're saying. You have people that teach kinesthetically by actually doing. And then you have, you know, people that teach by just, uh, you know, by watching you do it. So being able to break that information down for all that different learning type um, is is going to make you the best possible teacher. Obviously, being able to demonstrate the drill is just as important, right? You can't expect to just give the information out uh, and then not do the actual drill because it doesn't put confidence in the student's ability of yourself because they're like, okay, cool, he knows how, how to explain the drill, but why isn't he shooting it? What is he afraid of? And again, that d- does anything but uh, help you gain confidence with your students. So being able to do both um, is necessary, uh, but I would much heavily weigh on the person that can uh, break it down for the average person than just basing it off of how uh, how fast his, uh, his split times are. No, I agree. And I've worked with a ton of people, and you know, I taught – one of our big classes overseas was CQB and I had some guys on SIF teams or they're called CRIF teams now, which is the special operations, basically CQB teams. Like that's what their main goal is direct action. And guys were amazing at it. Like you put three or four of these dudes together and they were just flawless. But when they go to speak, like nothing comes out, you know, it's, it's very hard. Um, to elaborate on certain things because like you said it's about it it's like at that point it's about the individual right like uh-huh. you, you as a as a teacher as an instructor you need to be able to figure out how everybody learns and yes it's, it's sometimes pretty easy to see sometimes it might take a little trial and error but um and that, and then that's why being able to say it do it you know, and then break it down, you know, for those that need it, you know, is like very important for people because like you said, they're investing time, money and effort to go to these. And that's the last thing you want is someone to go there and not feel like they got their money's worth out of it because that's a bad review, you know, like, and, and the, even though there's like a million guns in America or whatever, it's a relatively small community for people that want to train. And one bad thing can can make or break a lot of things right so yep but with the business side of it i know you said you've been getting a bunch of questions on entrepreneurship and running a business like this um hell i asked you a ton of questions over the last year on it um even when i was overseas you know before i came home i was starting to plan things and uh you know like i mean i'll let you pick where you want to start with it um but it's a very big topic and 
from the gram, it looks like you're living a rock star lifestyle. But I want you to go ahead and break down the reality of it um, and what, the things you've been getting asked about. Yeah, so I mean, the the biggest thing is people always ask, like, how, how do I get into instructing? And the first thing I tell them is, what classes have you been to? And then they ask me, oh, well, I've been into, uh, you know, they maybe name off eight classes or two classes. And uh, I'm like, okay, we'll take more classes. And not to be blunt or, you know, to, to, to be sarcastic, um, you know, obviously I go more in depth with them about it. But the reality is, is that, you know, being a teacher just doesn't happen overnight. You know, I, you know, spent some time in, in the military myself, you know, being in a le- leadership position where I was teaching. Obviously, I wasn't teaching specific to what I'm doing now, but it started to more or less kind of build the foundation of said teaching. Um, and then all through then till, you know, if, if we're, you know, counting time in spent in the military, you know, you're probably talking about, you know, nine or 10 years total in some form of teaching. Now, obviously that wasn't, you know, after I got out and I went to college, you know, I was just teaching on the side on the weekends, whenever time. So it still wasn't a full-time thing, but I was still in the world or the realm of teaching. And I was still taking classes as a student. Even now, currently I take classes as a student. So that doesn't change. The, the, the role of the student is always there. Um, it's just that you have to basically put your, put your time in and start networking and start getting out there and start traveling around, right? You, you, you can't expect to live in a little small town and be in the middle of nowhere and ask how you can become this, this great instructor okay, that travels all around, okay? You have to put yourself out there. You have to sacrifice certain things, you know, to actually get there, like, you know, maybe um, selling some stuff to go to classes or picking a new job that has more flexibility so you can travel to, to say classes and then just start again. The, the biggest thing is, is networking. The, the reason why it was a more, it was a lot more fluid for me to go from teaching under somebody to te- to owning my own company is that I knew a lot of people once I left that and decided to start my own, uh, my own company. So I had a, a lot of contacts already in place from over the years of either being a student class or meeting up with somebody or um, going to this trade show or that trade show and it's making all these connections organically. But the biggest thing I tell people is that it takes time. It's not going to be an overnight thing. And even for me now, there's still ways that I can go about it better. I can, you know, probably create a better website or I can uh, advertise better, market better. So even now, currently, even though I currently do this, I'm, I'm not comfortable with it. Um, am I, um, am I physically comfortable in regards to what's around me in regards to the house I have and, um, you know, the status of the comfort of my family and everything else? Absolutely. Uh, but in regards to like overall comfort to a point where I become static, uh, absolutely not. Um, because again, there's always ways to, to become better. But like I said, the biggest thing I tell people is to, just put yourself out there, continually become the student, and naturally, organically, over the time, you'll just kind of see where an opening occurs for you to make that decision of, do I want to become an, an instructor or more or less a, a teacher, in my opinion now? And that's how it kind of happened to me. I, I just didn't think one day, like I didn't think all those years ago, like I'm going to be an instructor one day. Like I actually never even thought 
never, that wasn't even a thought in my head to, to where I am now. I just loved what I did. I just loved going to the range. I loved having that small opportunity I had to teach other people. Um, and I, and I loved the feeling that I got out of it and, and loved seeing the end result of having that person leave the class change in a better person. And because of that passion, that love that I have for it, it kind of naturally more or less created a guiding compass for me as to where I am now. And, and like I said, you know, it just kind of naturally happened over time. And a lot of people don't want to hear that as an answer because again, they want these things in the here and the now, but like we've been talking about this whole podcast, you know, the, the, the overall idea is that, you know, adversity is a part of life. You know, there, there's, there's never a time where you should be 100% comfortable in every aspect of life. If you do, you're, you're kind of cheating yourself of the potential that resides within you. Um, so again, if you want to do it, the opportunity is there. Um, it just comes down to the choices that you make again, reiterating off of what you talked about in regards to choices. Everybody has choices in life. Um, and sometimes it does take, you know, that hard decision making ability to get where you want to be. Does that mean maybe cutting off toxic people, whether it be friends or family or uh, toxic habits that you may possibly have, you know, going to the bar every night or going to the bar even every Friday or, you know, cutting down on those cigarettes or cutting down on the on the coffee that you all buy every morning instead of saving the money, like little tiny things like that. And again, I think it's because we become so automated again, once again, reiterating what we already talked about, people becoming so automated in their day-to-day life that they forget that even though it may seem like not a big deal, it's, it's, it's only, you know, it's only two bucks a day for a coffee. Well, guess what? That adds up day after day, month after month, year after year. Um, and again, if we make better choices overall as to what we, where we want to be, um, it will happen. It just comes down to, again, how long you're willing to kind of sit in the fire, more or less, how long you can take the heat and, uh, you know, be molded into something better because of it. And it's heat. It's hard, you know, like it's time under tension. People don't understand, you know, like, there, there's a couple of things, right? And one thing that I'm uncomfortable with, and I'll admit it to anybody, and my wife calls me out on it daily. She's my number one fan. Um, she, uh, you know, putting yourself out there, being that product, you know, like. Yep. And, and I had that problem. I still have that problem. I have a lesser problem with it now, but I can guarantee you I was in the same place that you were when I first started as well. I felt awkward talking about myself or even, you know, doing, uh, you know, having my photograph taken or, um, again, just talking about myself in general, because again, for, for quality people that I've met in the military, um, cause as you know, there's people that slip through the cracks everywhere in life and there's plenty of them in the military as well, but the good quality people I've met in the military, um, they're not people that like to showboat. They're usually not people that like to be in the limelight. They're, they're people that have been there, done that, done the work, and now they just want to rest and relax in peace. So I 100% get where you're coming from with that. Yeah, and that's that's something that, like, uh, I mean, I'm not, how do I, the heart, the, I'm trying to figure out the words that I want to say. You know, like you said, posting pictures of yourself and making you the product. I mean, that's, you are the product, you know, like your knowledge is the product and your face is the product. And, you know, you have to be, like you said, you have to become more comfortable with people taking pictures of you, 
posting your class dates with a picture of you on there and doing all this stuff. And it seems goofy, right? It seems goofy. I'm not showing off my new Daniel Defense or my new, uh, what's that rifle you just got? Uh, the new, what's that air pistol? The, uh, it is the ballistic advantage. Right. So it's not the ballistic advantage. You know, it's not this sexy Gucci Glock. It's you. You are the product, you know, like, so that is a very hard thing for me to like, you know, it makes me become unglued when, when I'm told like, Hey, you have to do that, you know? And I'm like, oh. but, um, that, and then like, you know, you said you started part-time, you know, you have to learn how to be told no, you know, like there's so many things out there that go into into business that I'm seeing right now. And I'm sure you see it too. But like, when you reach out to departments or to military, you know, it might take you 100 phone calls for to, to get a yes from from somebody, right? Yeah, and no, absolutely. And it's not being overconfident, like on not erring on the sides of coffee. Right, because because obviously we want to. In my opinion, in my opinion here is I always try to look at life from a, um, you know, embracing the the concepts of, of stoicism in regards of remaining balanced mentally, um, remaining on an even keel mentally, you know, more or less humility more than anything else. Now, obviously, being humble, but also there needs to be a point in time to let people know who you are at the same time, right? Because if you're always humble that's again too much of an extreme because again no one's going to know who you are because you're too humble to talk about yourself but yeah it may take multiple phone calls to 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 get where you want to be and that's all i don't want to be annoying well sometimes you got to be like people don't understand it from the other point of view right uh the the uh, uh the other point of view like a lot with a lot of these companies you know especially when i get asked from 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 other people who are starting up in the, in the teaching game, like, oh, how did you get such and such, you know, to talk to you in regards to a sponsorship? I'm like, I just kept emailing them. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, how many times did you email them? Well, I only emailed them twice. Why don't you email them again? Well, I don't want to be annoying. Well, what they don't understand is that the person on the other end of that email is, like, managing 10 hats at that specific company. So their email more or less got pushed to the bottom of the stack, not out of uh, – uh, anger or out of spite, but just because that's just the natural order of things in regards to a corporate environment. So sometimes you need to be a little bit of quote unquote annoying to really get yourself out there. Cause I can't tell you how many times that I originally thought that. And then I sent that fourth or fifth email and they, and then the guy replies by, Oh, Hey, you know what? Sorry. I'm really busy here at work or sorry. You know, I had a family emergency or whatever it may be. So again, the potential is there Again, going back to it, it's all about the choices that we make. So if you choose that only, you know, two emails is worth it, okay, cool. That is that is your decision to make. But understand that the possibility of that sponsorship or that agreement or whatever else you're looking for, that class, whatever you're looking out to do, could still be there. You're just not willing to go that extra mile. That's all. No, you're right. And, you know, like if someone thinks they have a lot of spam mail in their mailbox or junk mail – Think about it on a corporate level where you're getting that, plus you're getting your daily reminder of sexual assault, your daily reminder of gender or equality, you know, and all of these things that matter, 
plus all of your work emails, plus all of your family emails. I mean, emails get mixed up so much. So, and I, and I understand where you're coming from 110% because I grew up, when I was in the military, I didn't do as much shooting, but I was big into archery and competing and hunting, right? And I got told hundreds of times no before I got a yes. But then that yes, as long as you maintain that relationship and you build, and that's another big thing, right? You know, like you're talking about sponsors of ships and stuff. Guys, the best way to get a sponsorship, in my opinion, buy the product first. Then go talk to the company after you've been using it for said time. And Absolutely. build a relationship with that with those people. Like I went to Lone Wolf, or I went to Shot Show last year. Lone Wolf helped me get there, or they helped pay for my my badge. But I paid my flight, my time off work, my uh, I didn't even stay. I stayed in like uh, God, I don't even know what it's called. But like it was like thirty bucks. Probably like, a super, probably a super seedy. It's a typical Vegas motel. No, it was a $30 a night. Like, it, it was one of those, a hostel. It was a hostel. I stayed in a hostel. Um, you stayed in a hostel in Vegas? Do you have a death wish? Yeah. So I stayed in a hostel. I took the bus there. You know, like, I took, I out of my own pocket, you know, probably $1,200, $1,500 plus what I've invested in, in that company before, before they before we got to build that kind of a relationship, you know what I mean? I had to prove to myself that I was a normal person, that I was a human being um, who was one, willing to help that company grow, be empathetic to others and support and educate more. So guys, if you think that the gun community is small, there's, I'm not saying there's a hundred Ian's and there's a hundred me's out there, but the emails for requests for sponsorships is in the 10,000s every year, you know, because of what people want from these companies. And if, like, I'll give an instant, like Kafaru backpacks. Kafaru, I don't know if you know, is, is a pretty high-end mountain hunting tactical backpack company. Kind of like the Vertex packs, but more rugged, like built to last 7 to 10 days out in the backcountry. And they're expensive. They're like five to seven hundred dollars, right? Depending on which ones you want. Kind of like I guess if you were to compare it to a company, Mystery Ranch. But I did that in 2010. I was like, I was emailing a ton of companies, like, hey, I want to try your product. You know, would you sponsor me? Blah blah blah. And I made one bad mistake, and it put like a black label on me for years before. I and throughout those years that they put that black mark on on me. I bought my own products from them. I continued to rep their stuff because I wanted to be a part of a good company, right? Not just be a mediocre company, but a company that was putting good information out there, putting a good product out there. And that was a, a genuine good company. And then over time, I built a better relationship with them after I had already messed it up. And I still don't get free stuff, but if I get a discount on some things or if if they want me to try out a new pack, I'll try out a new pack and give them feedback. Um, but... It, like you said, it's things you have to give up or like choices you make and it's investment, right? You're investing your time. If they're going to invest a 12 to 15, $2,000 rifle in you, like they're going to expect a return on investment, right? ROI is something that's really not talked about a lot. And unless you can put that out there, you know, it's hard for them to come up with that money because their budget is only so big. Yeah, they might be a million dollar company, but they might only get $10,000 a year to put into their 
sponsorship program or something. So there's a lot of things, guys, that get involved. And like you said, Ian, it's you don't get anything in life trying once or twice and giving up. In the military, in the military, if I wanted my enlisted records brief updated because I went to a school or something, I had to go to my pack clerk, my S one, probably a dozen times before they're like, "All right, I'll give you time to do it," or "I'll give you the time to do it." You know, they're like, oh, "I got other stuff to do. I got awards. I got all this stuff. I'll put your stuff last." But if you're annoying, anything in the military. If you're annoying, you're either going to get told to go sit the hell down or in a worse way, or they'll be like, fine, we'll do it, you know? Um, Yep. But you kind of have to have that, right? You have to have – and that's drive, right? The same with your business. If you make – like, to be honest with myself, like with Zeus 7, like I've spent more time building my home defense class lately, but – we, like life happens, guys. School, work, kids, you know, like things happen and you have to be able to, one, sleep less, right? Because there's everyone gets 24 hours in a day or yeah. um, just be progressive. Again, choices, choices, right? Yeah. No, do, it's, you, do you need to watch that, that, that Netflix series? Do you need to... Uh, you know, watch that football game or go to the bar or all these extra things that you do out of pure enjoyment and need. Do you, do you, can you sacrifice that? That's the real question. And once you can answer that, you'll see a lot more options that will open up for you. Yeah, it's there's nothing easy about it. That's for sure. No. But again, life wasn't designed to be easy. Right, right, right. And I mean, I'm trying to think right now, like, for guys that want to train, um, if you're in it for the get rich lifestyle, I think you're in it for the wrong reasons. Even if you True. are, um, even if you're very good at what you do, like if you're, unless you're tearing tactical and you've got Keanu Reeves paying you X amount, X amount of dollars to teach him how to be John Wick, you know, like which is. A very, very niche community. Um, yes. You know, like, you've got to be humble in in the way you go about it as far as your lifestyle goes, right? Because even you make sacrifices to this day. You know, like, you, you told me you teach at your G- BJJ Institute, right? Because your kids go there. Yep. And you want to help out. And not only are you doing that, that's also a great way to prove to your children your leadership capabilities, which is something that is lacking in America. Um, you know, the time you spend at the range, the time away from family, you know, like you got to pick and choose what you want to do because you can go work overseas and make $150,000 a year and see your family 30 days out of the year, or you can come home and pursue a passion and make $30,000 a year, $40,000 a year, but have more time with your family or I mean, there's everything you do, guys, is like a choice. Like you said, it all goes back to choices. Yeah, and and again, if you're if you're happy, you know, uh, you know, making making thirty four thousand a year, and you can go to all your kids' games, and you can be yourself on some some softball league or whatever else, and you're happy, then awesome. Like that that is that is the goal right there. the The goal is to live a life that that you can provide for yourself or if you have a family to provide them yourself and them with 
but also be emotionally fulfilled and happy with doing so. Okay, that's in my opinion the end goal to anyone's life. I think that's, now whether that's that revolves more than money. around shooting or not, again, it's going to be up to you. But yeah. the reality is, is that um, you have to be content and fulfilled and happy with what you're doing because if not, um, that's going to not be too good of a life for you to be living. And obviously, I you know I completely understand where people are coming from. Where oh, Ian, it's easier said than done. You know, I just can't just leave my job. I got a family. I get that. I've been there, trust me. I've been there and I've had those jobs. You know, um, you wouldn't believe half the jobs I used to have prior to doing what I'm doing now. And I hated it, but I knew that it was necessary for me to put a roof over my kids and wife's head and to put food on the table. So I made a choice and I and I did some sacrificing because of that. Um, whether that be mentally or not, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter because in the end it it, it, it what had to be done what was was done. And I think a lot of people, because they're in these less than ideal situations, they believe it to be true. They believe it to be factual statistical data that because I'm in the situation, I have no out. And I talked about this a little bit yesterday on one of the IGTV things that I posted up in regards to there's always an escape. And obviously that's more specifically to, you know directed towards you know jujitsu or grappling. Or I do believe there's always an escape. Uh, you know, obviously the, the escape is going to be uh, obviously easier, more difficult, depending on how um, early that you saw the escape. Uh, but there always is one, and that can be applied to life as well. Um, there, there's always an escape or an option for you to get out of the situation that you're in. Again, it all comes down to the choices that you decide to make and, and the sacrifice that you may have to make because of that. Uh, but in the end, I do feel that if people made those harder decisions and take a, took a little more risks for their happiness, there would overall be a lot more depressed and anxiety-ridden people in this world. So if I, if I get this right, you were going to classes, going to school, and working, teaching firearms part-time, right? When When would you say that you were able to quit all of the other and go full-time at this uh well let's say i like, like i said i didn't really i got out in 2010 but really uh kind of was just fooling around with the you know you know just going in the range and plinking probably for about two years so then 2012 happened and that's where i started really taking it seriously and started getting my feet wet teaching so pretty much from 2012 up until the fall of 2017, um, I did that. I was doing jobs and doing things that weren't necessarily what I enjoyed the most, but it was a thing that I know I had to do in order to get to the end goal. And like I said, that end goal of teaching, what I'm doing now, that was never a, a thought in my mind. Like never back when I first started teaching, did I ever think that I'd be making it a full-time career where I could actually quit my job and, and do what I love full-time and somehow with doing what I love, I'm actually able to, to support my family. And, um, that happened throughout those, those seven years. And, you know, there were plenty of times where I was just like, you know what, it's not going to happen. This is, this is pointless. Um, I'm just going to figure something else out, but I, I always ended up getting drawn back to the, the idea of teaching. And then just one day it just kind of all clicked together. 
a decision had to be made, and um, that's where we are today. So seven years. So for you guys that are listening, yep. from doing it part time, I mean, and and that's that's not an art. I mean, a lot of people think too is like you skill. There has to be some form of skill involved. So if you cannot put the time aside to make yourself better at what you want to teach, it's going to it's you can get away with it for a long time or until you go do a real class, but. If you go and have your first big class and you cannot perform at a level that you want your students to, you know, like, and when I say you want your students to, you want your students to hit a level. If they go faster, by all means, go faster or, or be more proficient because that's just on them. But if you're going to do a class and say, hey, I'm going to do this drill and blah, blah, blah. This is my part-time, I think, grandmaster part-time for this and competitive shooting is this but this is my part-time and this is what I'd like to see you meet or beat. You know, don't, don't be throwing stuff out there, guys, like, um, like the accelerator drill, like is a pretty big drill for USPSA and stuff, which is seven meters. It's, it's three targets, seven meters, 15 meters, and I think 20 or 25 meters. And it's two rounds each reload, two rounds each. And you have to do it in a specific order. And it's like under six seconds for like GM time. You know, like the fastest I've ever done it was like six and some change. And that's because I had another instructor who was very knowledgeable pushing me to beat that. But I would never start a class off and be like, hey, this is this drill. I want you to do it in five something. And then I perform it at this. You know, so there is a level of proficiency that needs to be met with the tool that you're teaching how to use. Oh, absolutely. And if not, you know, your students will sniff out that BS real quick. Um, as, again, especially people that pay good money to be there. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say that students are looking for you to fail, but they're definitely looking to see holes in your game. Um, they're definitely looking to see, like, you know, how they could potentially outshoot you. And it's not necessarily a... It, it's not necessarily, again, out of anger or spite. It's just the fact that we as humans, especially men, are super competitive. So it's just a thing that just we, we naturally do. But again, yes, you absolutely have to perform to that level of, of proficiency, especially if you're in a position where you're teaching other human beings. And, and the reality is, is especially teaching um, human beings in the context of self-preservation, right? You're, you're literally taking time out of their life to teach them life or death skills that could potentially help them survive, okay, or be their end in a violent encounter. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that in regards to pulling in the big class and, you know, showing how big the class is and taking pictures and content. The, the, the reality is outside of the the marketing and propaganda that goes into it, you are literally giving people skills that could bring them home at the end of the day. And it's a very, it's a, it's, it's, it's a very serious aspect and a, and a very, uh, you know, serious idea that I think gets overlooked because of, like I said, social media and, and, and this and that. Uh, but it's something that I take very seriously because the last thing I would want to do is have a student that I see came to a class is on the news and ends up being a statistic on the news because they weren't able to perform on demand 
when they needed it or the loved ones needed it. That is by far my biggest fear. And again, that may seem a little hokey and a little out there, uh, but for what I do, that's that's a pretty big, big fear of mine, is not being able to give my students all the information that I have to continue and win the fight if necessary. And that's where I think being able to verbally like explain things to students so that at a, at a level that they can go to the range later on and continue to practice that. Because if there's no why behind this, then there's really no real reason to practice it, right? So, um, you know, like you teach skills and definitely, and they're life-saving skills, you know, but it takes a practice to continue those skills even after the class. And that's why I thought with your class, it was great because I, man, even today, I see guys posting the drills, the same drills that we were doing. They, they were taking things because of what you taught and they were continuing to work on those because they had a, an array of, of things involved in them, like movement and mag changes and multiple targets and identification. And they were continuing to improve those skills even after the class was done. So being able to explain the why is going to help them want to get better at that, if that makes sense. All right, guys, so a quick disconnection in the phone call here. I'm going to bring Ian back up to speed, and we will continue the podcast. So hold tight. Is the being able to explain the drills that you performed and the way that you did gives students like the the want to continue to get better at things, right? Because like even today on social media, we're, I'm still seeing guys posting drills that they're doing at home now that they were taught in your class. So, but yeah, no, and then. Uh, you know, as far as uh, entrepreneurship goes, it's it's a lifestyle. You've got to want to invest in it, right? So, like, if students are yes. going to want to invest in you, you have to want to invest in yourself. So, you know, going to other classes, one big thing that I saw that I liked about it was it helps you create a rhythm in how you want a class to go. You can go to classes and just like leadership, right, like if you're ever taught anything about leadership, they say pick good qualities from good leaders, ditch the bad ones until you build your own style of leadership. And if you can go to 10, 11, 12 classes, you can pick all the good and all the flow from these other classes and help build yours um, in the long run. Because, like, let's be honest, there's only so many ways you can draw a pistol. There's only so many perfect techniques for conducting a slide lock reload you know it, it's how your ability to verbally uh educate them on it you know it's it's your way of doing it and there's really not a whole lot of new techniques out there it's just the ability of the instructor to uh explain it better yeah, it, it, it all comes down to just how that, that individual 
breaks down the information for the student, just just as simply put as that. And obviously, every teacher is going to have a different way of explaining something, and that's the, the, the benefit of taking multiple classes and not just taking it from one person over and over again. Um, like, I've had people in the past, like, ask me, you know, they've been to multiple of my classes, like, oh, what class should I take next? I'm like, well, have you taken a class from so-and-so? They're like, no, I haven't taken a class from anybody else. I'm like, well, go out there and take another class. Like, I'm not the only one out there that is teaching like there's plenty of other good teachers out there that that are putting out um that good information uh but again it comes down to now you have to put yourself in a situation that's going to be new where you don't know the teacher you don't know the group of students that go there so it's just this continual process of again going back to the aspect of adversity going back to constantly placing yourself in those less than ideal and adverse and uncomfortable positions now speaking of adversity you have been throwing yourself into some three-gun matches. Yes. Are they IDPA or are they like uh, USPSA style? Uh, they are just three-guns. So okay, it's just three-guns? The, 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 the biggest issue with three-gun is that, unlike USPSA or even IDPA, is that the accuracy standard is uh, basically non-existent. It's basically any... Yeah, for cardboard, it's any two hits on the cardboard or one in the A zone. So obviously, everybody, pretty much majority-wise, everybody just does, does two hits because it can be anywhere on the on the target. Um, but I don't believe, obviously, it's the end-all, be-all discipline. But it is like my like Nate has said, our good buddy Nate there has said, it's like um, it's, it's like going to like a motocross event. It's just like full throttle at all times because. Yes, the accuracy standards is lower or non-existent, but you have to be able to be able to pre-plan your stage. So, being able to go into again mental processing of how you're gonna of how you're going to process yourself for this stage, as well as being able to work through three different platforms, being able to work through the the precision grip of a pistol, being able to get a completely different trigger and hold on the gun for a rifle and then being able to go to a completely different platform with a completely different recoil impulse with a shotgun. Now, are the, are the targets IPSC targets? Are they like E-type silhouette targets? Um, they are usually standard uh, USPSA targets. Okay. So, I mean, as far as accuracy goes, as long as there's two hits on the target, you know, a lot of guys in real life, I promise... Not every hit will be an A-zone hit. The ability that, or the reason why instructors want you to, to work on A-zone hits is because once the mental processing happens, once the world like stops on a dime during that moment happens and all of these other elements come into it, right? Like what's beyond the target? Are there civilians around me? Where's my family? All this other stuff, you know, the ability to put rounds on target is the end goal. Yes. Realistically, you know, I mean, so that's why you get like you teach or people teach at such a high standard is because they know that human life has just a huge margin of error to begin with. Yes. Um, and yeah, yeah. The, but like I said, the, the, the biggest takeaway with, with three gun is, Putting yourself in a competitive setting around people that are better than you, and shotgun is definitely not <laughs> is definitely not my uh, my friend. 
more are, or less. Are you running a um, pump or a semi? Um, I was actually just running a, uh, I was running my buddy's uh, inertia semi-auto, and I didn't have too good luck with that. So then the next match, I actually brought my old uh, Mossberg 500 you know, six shot pump. Yeah. Man, I, I, I got hosed obviously compared to guys that are running these, these race shotguns with the caddies and all that. But I worked through the problem. I used what I have and, uh, yeah. So it was a little bit interesting. You know, the pump almost makes it seem like your accuracy is probably a little bit better because it gave you that time. But I don't know. I mean, them race guns are pretty, pretty awesome these days oh yeah but no it's incredible with what firearms are doing um all right so where can people find you i know you've got quite a bit of stuff already planned for next year um are you heading to shot show i am i will be there under uh vertex i don't know vertex is both yet but it's pretty much in the same place every single year so okay i will be there i will be there from tuesday uh, Tuesday until I think I fly out Friday. So Tuesday to about Thursday, I'll, I'll be there. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday should be on the floor. Okay. And then, uh, what, what's your, what's your, um, what's your website? Where can people find you at? Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, uh, just simply rune nation, LLC.com, uh, for my Facebook, it's rune nation. Instagram is at Rune Nation LLC, and then Twitter is at Rune Nation LLC as well. And I'm also on Snapchat and uh, whatever the other Snapchat, the other new whiz kid social media Have platform you, is. Are you on TikTok? I'm on there too. I am. I don't really know how to use it yet, but we're we're slowly figuring it out. I get banned um, every other post on TikTok, so <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a little weird, but but we're. Uh, but we're working through it. But uh, yeah, that that's that's where you can find me. I pretty much have majority of my 2020 schedule up right now. I just put in the process for all my local New Hampshire stuff for 2020. That's about another eight classes. So I think I'm at uh, 15 or 16 that are on the site right now for next year, and then add another eight to that one. So it'll pretty much be around the same amount that I was teaching last year. Just a lot better scheduled, we'll say. Um, but that should be up on the site. I am going to be in Michigan, obviously, next year as well, at the end of May, I think, again. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. But, yeah, I'm pretty much traveling all, all around, guys. So if you haven't heard of me or if you have, um, you guys know I travel all around. So all the way from Washington State to uh, Kentucky to Texas New Mexico, I go all over. Um, so if you don't see a place that's on there, um, go ahead and send me an email. We can get some conversation going and um, hopefully link up and get some set up for a course because I'm always down to, to you know teach wherever. just comes down to just getting some logistics in place prior. Right. So he literally can go anywhere. So if you guys have a range and you have a place or something and some friends, he can literally go anywhere. So... That's what's good about Ian, and uh, I was pretty impressed. Uh, setup, you know, like you've got it figured out. I, I don't know if you pre-order targets to come there beforehand or what, but I mean, you had everything there, which was pretty awesome. You didn't have to worry about anything. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, it's definitely down to a uh, 
to a process at, 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 at this point. So, all right, Ian, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. You got G- BJJ tonight? Yes, sir. Good deal. Um, I got to study. I got midterms tomorrow. I don't want to. <laughs> but, uh, nice. yeah, should be fun. But uh, thank you for coming on. I like gratitude doesn't even explain coming on my first podcast. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know we kind of got off topic on a few things, but bottom line overall throughout this podcast, guys choices, like that's the biggest thing that I can remember from this, um, choices. And there's always, uh, an action that causes a reaction. And just depending on what choices you make can either better your life or make it worse. Um, and that's something to think about. I'll post the links and stuff for times for entrepreneurship and stuff on here as well. So you guys can hear that. But uh, I think there's a lot of good information. And I'm, I'm excited, man. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks so much, man. All right. All right. Bye.